Welcome back, dear students, to our second presentation on stocks. And in this presentation, we'll talk about the stock market as it operates and how we measure it. And then we'll take a look at some measures of individual stocks and compare a couple of uh, a few pairs of stocks, because whenever we look at one company, we must look at their competitors also. So, so let's start on slide number 19. What are the securities marketplaces? Well, security is, is, a, is, a, is a, nothing to do with, you know, the administration of justice. It, it's a fancy word for a financial asset is what it is. And we're discussing stocks. But this, this the, the, the overarching term securities means any financial instruments, any financial vehicles, any financial investments that are traded. Um, uh, uh, and whenever that happens, there are very strict rules that are in place within uh, reputable uh, con concerned governments to make sure that the amount of hanky-panky is minimized. But folks, you're never going to stop at all. In fact, it's useless to try. So that's why you as an investor should stay far away from some of the places that are the wrong side of the town, the wrong side of the tracks, tracks, the, the railroad tracks, the bad part of town, the red light district, if you will. So let's take a look at the good people. huh? First, the New York Stock Exchange. It's called the big board, and for a reason. It started in 1792, and for, for hundreds of years even, for decades, it was the place where you wanted your company to be. There was another little kid down the block called the Amex, the American Stock Exchange, but it actually wound up now being owned by the New York Stock Exchange, and now they call it the New York Stock Exchange American Index. I don't know why they just, just don't roll it into the New York Stock Exchange, but it used to be called the curb, which is just, some people still call it the curb. Uh, why? Well, because it started out on the curb of the New York Stock Exchange, literally. There were people outside the New York Stock Exchange looking in the window, seeing what was going on, and then they trade outside. The, yeah, it's a very small player and always has been. But along comes a new kid on the block, the NASDAQ, which originally stood for National, I mean, sorry, yeah, National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotation System. But they don't call it that anymore. They call it the NASDAQ. And they started off in early 1970 and started off doing all electronic trades, no hand-to-hand -hand trading. And many smaller companies at the time that you may or may never heard may have heard of like Microsoft and Apple and Intel and and Oracle which is now on the Nasdaq and then uh, uh, Costco and Starbucks and and Facebook and 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 Google and they're an app and I said Amazon they're all on the Nasdaq now so the Nasdaq even though it's still smaller than the New York Stock Exchange is is uh is very big and is as uh, a potent competitor to the New York Stock Exchange. So all three of these usually will stay away from the American Exchange because they're smaller companies. But all the New York Stock Exchange and Nasdaq—they're the ones we want you to remember. You—that's where you want to be. That's where, where if you ever trade a stock, buy a stock, sell a stock, you want to make sure that it's on the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq. Now, what's this over-the-counter market? What does that mean anyway? Well, these are the bulletin board and the pink sheets, and they called them. They call them the pink sheets. Actually, they changed their name. They don't, but everyone still calls them the pink sheets because they used to publish the prices on newspaper that was pink. They called them the pink sheets. This is where the phony scam companies are. Now, there's an exception to the rule. Every once in a while, there's a company that fell on hard times and couldn't qualify for the New York Stock Exchange or the or the uh, NASDAQ, or the even the Amex, the American exchange. And so they wound up on the pink sheets or the bulletin boards. But those are the exception, not the rules. There are 20,000 companies out there that are really not really companies. They're just people's garages somewhere in, in, in Montana, somewhere. I don't know. But just stay far away from these places. Okay, Stay far away from the pink sheets or the bulletin boards. 
Now, it used to be that all trading was done on the New York Stock Exchange and the Amex hand-to-hand. -hand. But that's all gone now. They still have the floor open where people are sort of standing around looking at the screens. But virtually all the trading is done electronically now, folks. All of it is done electronically. Slide number 20. To gauge the current, so all you need to know is New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, okay? I'm going to reiterate that. That's the takeaway. To gauge the current condition of stocks in general, financial professionals have created various stock market indices. And it's just a list of stocks, folks. And you hear about these things every day. The Dow, the NASDAQ, the Standard & Poor's, 500. What They're going up, they went down. What's, stocks are cratering, stocks are exploding. What, what's going on? Well, they are, these are lists of companies. The most popular and the most famous is the Dow, even though it's not a very good index in, because it only has 30 companies. And it used to be that these companies changed very rarely. Who creates this list? Well, it was created by Dow Jones, the people who published the Wall Street Journal. And so even though it's still very popular, it's not the best index. A much better index used to be the Standard & Poor's 500. That was the 500 largest companies, and who keeps track of that index? Standard & Poor's, the same people, well, they split off, but the same people who write uh, uh, textbooks. You know, they, they split apart, but they used to do textbooks, and the same company that owns television stations, but they split apart too. So, uh, so Standard & Poor's are the people who keep track of the 500 largest companies in the United States. And why would we say it used to be a very good measure? Well, because what's happened in the S&P 500 is that 10 stocks have come to dominate this list of 500 companies. So everybody thinks when they invest in the Standard & Poor's 500 that they're investing in a very well-diversified list of companies. And the truth is that used to be true, but it ain't true right now. And when that's happened in the past where it ain't true, where you have a preponderance of one industry, it's usually not a good sign for the future. <laughs> so we'll see what happens now. But you know what companies I'm talking about? Right. Facebook and, and Apple and Google and Medusa.com. I'm sorry, Amazon.com. These companies are huge and they dwarf the rest of the companies in the S&P 500. So you now have 10 companies out of 500. Actually, it's like 504. But out of 500 companies making up over 25, 26, 27% of the index. If that doesn't make any sense, take Business 123, Introduction to Investments, where we delve into it in more detail. And we'll come back to the Standard & Poor's 500 in more detail in the next chapter. So stay tuned. Now, the NASDAQ composite is a list of companies on the NASDAQ. And the NASDAQ is the place where many technology, although some of them are not technology companies. So when you hear the NASDAQ went up or the NASDAQ went down, you're, they're actually talking about high-tech companies, okay? So these are the three you need to know. These are the three indexes you need to know for this class. For the next class, you're going to have to learn all the ones that are on the next slide, slide 21. The Dow Jones U.S. Total Stock Market Index. What a stupid name. It used to be called the Wilshire 5000. And it's approximately about 4,000 stocks. At one time, it was over 7,000. But the idea behind this was we were trying to get not only the big companies, which we see in the Dow Jones and the Standard & Poor's 500, but we also want to get the small companies and the medium-sized companies. So they pick and choose a representation of, 4, 000, of, 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 of the entire stock market. Well, there's, there's many more stocks than that, but they're usually just picking 4,000. What so sometimes called this total market index. Yeah, yeah, total market index. You hear that. Then the Russell 2000 is 2,000 of small and medium-sized companies. What they do is they take the top, the largest 3,000 companies, they cut off the top 1,000, and they just give you 1,001 through 3,000, and that's small and medium-sized companies. So we look to them for small and medium-sized companies, how they're doing. Remembering that it's just a composite. I mean, some companies are doing well, some companies are doing poorly, and others are just sort of doing their thing. Now, that those all so far, we've only looked at United States companies. But many years ago, 1970s, 1980s, uh, a few, a certain company said, we got to look at what's going on outside the world. 
And that was called, that company was Capital International. But they sold it to Morgan Stanley, so they kept the name. So it's Morgan Stanley Capital International. But you don't have to remember that. That's just a piece of trivia that you can amuse your friends with. And But they have a world index, which was everybody. Well, at the time, everybody meant United States, Canada, Western Europe, uh, Australia, and then Hong Kong and Singapore and Japan. And so the industrialized companies, and I think there might have been one or two South African companies, but, but, but it was mostly the developed world. Well, in, as the developing world has grown and becoming very, very large and will surpass the developed world eventually, because there's just a hell of a lot more people there, instead of just adjusting the world index, they came up with this new, this new name, which I think is just horrible, MSCI All Country World Index. Isn't that just trip right over the tongue? I like world. And then to determine how people, how, how not people, but companies were doing outside the United States, sometimes called foreign, sometimes called international, they created, Capital International created the EFA. That's how it's pronounced, EFA. Europe, Australia, and the Far East. And now, in other words, everybody but the United States. And again, they did not change it as the developing world developed and is still developing instead what they did is they created a new one which is even better the msci msci all country world index x usa now doesn't that doesn't that just say it all <laughs> yeah it does it's just another way of making you feel like you don't understand what the hell's going on but if they just said everybody but the united states that would be good enough i think but they didn't and remember, global, world, that means everybody, including the United States, whereas foreign, international, that means everybody but the United States. And again, you don't have to internalize these. You don't have to memorize these. But in Business 123, you do. You have to know these for Business 123. But the previous slide is more important for 121. Okay, so you might have heard the term bull market, bear markets. Well, what is a bull market? It means the stocks are going up. More investors are buying stock. Usually the, the, the economy's doing well. People are getting raises and their standard of living is rising. And so the stock market increases. A bear market is where prices are going down. Um, uh, usually, not always though, uh, associated with a, with a uh, recession or, or just an economy that's very sluggish. And so there's a definition for a bear market. It's 20% or more. So we had not had a severe bear market since the Great Recession in 2008-9. But just recently in the COVID, the first COVID scare <laughs> in 2020, we had a very quick, the fact, the quickest bear market that's ever happened because people literally freaked out and thought the world was going to end. And then when they realized the world isn't going to end, just a whole lot of people are going to die. The stocks came roaring back. And then when they realized that this isn't going to be done anytime soon, started now what we had after that was a correction. A correction is a 5 or 10 or 15% downturn. That's not a bear market. It has to go down 20% for it to be a bear market. Make sense? And where do these terms come from? Well, you don't need to know, but and it's lost in obscurity. But bears charge... Ahead, right? They throw their opponents up in the air. I'm sorry, not bears. Bulls, bulls, bulls. Bulls charge ahead. They throw their, their opponents up in the air. Whereas what do bears do? Right, they knock down their opponents with their paws and they're more reclusive. They don't really want to be seen unless, you know, you surprise them or they're attacking you, which is not fun. So that's where the names come from. But it actually, it's actually a little more subtle than that, but we won't discuss it. Okay, <laughs> if you really want to do it, if you're really into the entomology of ner ner words, isn't that it's called entomology, then do look up where the word terms bull market and bear market came from, because it's a more subtle than that. But that's what people say. Slide 23. Okay, okay, you ready? Okay, okay, let's take a break. Stretch, because now we're going to start looking at individual companies. And Taking a look at the numbers, as Mr. Benjamin Graham says, show me the numbers. He was the author of one of the best books on investing called The Intelligent Investor. Don't run out and get it to start because it's, it's, he's just, he doesn't, he, he's, he's very obtuse. I like that word obtuse. He just writes in a way that makes it hard to understand. 
And the best, what they did to, to his, he, he passed away in 1975. They took a, a very good writer, Jason Swig. He's a very good financial writer. And they said, would you write a commentary after every chapter? So you read Benjamin Graham's chapter and you're thoroughly confused. And then you read Jason Swig's uh, commentary on the chapter and you go, oh, okay, I see what Mr. Graham was saying. And if that doesn't impress you, Benjamin Graham was Warren Buffett's teacher, one of the best investors in the world. Uh, he was his teacher at, at Columbia University, I think. Yeah. So that was Mr. Benjamin Graham. Show me the numbers. And we'll come back to him, I think. There are dozens of dozens of numeric measures, folks. And what you see is that it's kind of like an onion. It's kind of like an onion. You peel layers away and get closer and closer to the center as you peel the layers away and learn more and more about individual stocks because there's a ton of information. But what we find as we learn about stocks is that it's really not that difficult to understand what's going on. If you can understand a business, you can understand a stock because there's a business behind the stock. The tricky part is trying to determine what's going to happen in the future. Right? <laughs> That's the tricky part. That's the 64,000, 64 million, 64 billion dollar question. And if it, if it were easy, if we knew what was going to happen in the future, we wouldn't call it the future, right? So we look at the past, and that's not a guarantee of the future, right? So that's why Mr. Buffett will is off. I haven't heard him say it in a long time, but I remember him saying it, and I love it. And I, Investing is simple, but it ain't easy. <laughs> the simple part is learning about all the different measurements and the different types of stocks and the and the companies and what their businesses are and that kind of that's simple trying to determine what's going to happen three four or five years ago that ain't easy because the world is constantly changing we know that and some companies will thrive and some companies will disappear and you want to be left with the companies that thrive right and so let's go through some of the most popular measures capitalization book value earnings per share price to earnings ratio and then dividend yield. And then we'll look at some actual companies. Of course, there's a worksheet that we learn how to do these calculations. So, and they're very easy, folks. They're really not that hard. They're much easier than the bond calculations, okay? So let's continue here. Market capitalization. One of these is so important and people don't look at it. They look at the price of the stock. But the price of the stock, unless you're dealing with penny stocks, is meaningless unless you know how many shares are outstanding. You have to know what the company is actually worth. And so we have three categories, the papa bear, the mama bear, and the baby bear. And that's all you have to remember. Forget penny stocks. They shouldn't even be discussed in polite company. But large companies, up until a few years ago, now you're hearing people say it should be at least 15 billion. But these are companies that are worth more than $10 billion. Now you're hearing people, you are hearing people say it should be at least 1500, $15 billion, not just $10 billion. But we'll, we'll leave it the way it is here. Maybe in a couple of years we'll change with the times. I don't know. And then there are these companies called mega cap stocks. These are companies that are in the worth in the, in the, in the hundreds of billions of, of dollars. And so we got one now, a few companies that are over a trillion dollars. What do you call them? Mega, mega, mega cap? Right. And so these are the Walmarts of the world. GE. Oh, I don't think GE is a hundred billion dollars anymore. I should check. Ooh, I think GE is under a hundred billion now. But but you're talking about companies, you know all these companies, you know, you know the the fangs as they're called, and Johnson and Johnson's worth over a hundred billion and ExxonMobil was. I don't know if it still is, but these are the mega cap stump stocks. You don't have to remember mega cap, just remember large cap greater than ten billion. Now that's the papa bear. How about the mama bear? Those are mid-cap stocks, anywhere from $1 or $2 billion. Of course, it depends on who you talk to, up to 10 But now you hear people saying, no, a mid-cap stock starts at around 5 or $6 billion and goes up to $15 billion. But, you know, you decide. It, 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 it's, it's an arbitrary distinct. It's not arbitrary, but it's, it's fuzzy, depending on who you talk to. And then small-cap stocks were typically anywhere... From a hundred million up to one or two billion, but now you hear people saying that a small cap stock is actually up to five billion. If you're under a hundred million, then you get into the turn into the into the category. It's a subcategory, and you don't have to remember. Called micro cap. These are very small companies that you know maybe are just starting out, or maybe they've hit on very hard times, 
and they've fallen very far. But just remember the, mom, the papa bears, the mama bears, the baby bears. Large cap, mid cap, small cap. It stands for large capitalization, mid, mid size capitalization, and small size capitalization. And then again, ignore penny stocks forever. Don't touch them. They're caca poopoos. <laughs> they're just dangerous, folks. Yeah, it's, it's a, they're scams, and and then they get away with it. What are you gonna do? Some of them get some of them get in trouble, but most of them just get away with it. Okay, so so now we would go to uh, uh, one of the problems here. Say we have a stock that's worth fifty dollars. Well, okay, that's the price of the stock. We don't know how much the company is worth unless we know the number of shares outstanding. So if the number of shares outstanding were 2 million, we would multiply 50 times 2 million and we get $100 million. So if we needed, if we wanted to buy this company outright, if we wanted to buy, if we, this company we wanted to own private, we'd have to go on down to the, to the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. Well, I don't think there's any for $100 million on stock, New York Stock Exchange. But we'd have to go down to the exchange that it is sold on and say, okay, I got $100 million in my pocket. I want to buy this company. Is that how it works? Not actually, but it's, it's some, something like that. They'd actually have to pay about $120 million. They have to usually give a 10 or 20% uh, um, uh, premium. They have to, they'd have to say, look, we'll buy it for a price of $55 or $60. And why is that? Well, as soon as you started to try to buy up all the shares that are trading, what's going to happen? Right, the price is going to start rising and rising and rising, and everybody's going to go, what's going on? Someone's buying all the shares that are out, for, out there. And then that's when Dirk Pete can be hanky-panky, because you could, you can, especially with smaller company stocks, you could literally start making the price go up and up and up and up and up, right, as you're buying the shares, and then remember the pump and dump? Right, dump the shares, sell them all at once, and then the price would, 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 would plummet. Now, this is very hard to do with big companies like McDonald's and Home Depot, but it's not hard to do with small companies. And it is totally illegal, but it happens all the time in the, in the, in the world of uh, penny stocks. So that's why they have to come in with what's called a tender offer. And again, you don't have to remember this. We learned about this in Business 123, Introduction to Investments. But if you really want to impress your friends, when you hear that a company's being bought out, you say, why did they offer so much money? Why did they just go out and buy it? Because they can't. <laughs> they can't go out and buy this, start buying the shares. They can they can make certain purchases if they want they want to start accumulating it, then they have to they have to say that they're doing it. They have to they have to make it public that they are doing this so that all the other investors know, okay. And these are usually people with very, very big pockets. So that so that's all regulated. And as I said, you know, the United States has some of the best or was the best. Now other companies have, have one upped us and, and even put more stringent restrictions on what kind of hanky panky can go on in the in the securities marketplace. Okay, so in the pre in the worksheet now there'll be a problem that we would do in the face-to-face -face class. You did do that on your own, okay? Okay. Now, there are other numeric measures to consider when evaluating a stock. The book value. What is the book value? Well, it's an accounting term. And what it means is the the net worth literally of the company on a per share basis. And you determine this by deducting all the liabilities from the assets and then dividing the remainder by the number of shares outstanding. Does this sound familiar? Remember assets, we take our assets minus our liabilities and we get our net worth. Well, it's the same idea, except there's a whole lot more zeros when it comes to major corporations. And what they do is they divide it by the number of shares and what you get is the book value, how much each share is worth. If the company were to stop operations, sell off all their assets, pay off their debts, how much would you have left in your pocket? Now, it is very rarely close to the stock price, often one-fifth or one-sixth or less, right? And why is that? Well, because investors realize that a successful company is worth far more intact than it is liquidated. Think of a pizza shop. Think about the assets that the pizza shop has. The pots and pans and the oven and all the, the furnishings, right? 
if they were to stop operation and try to sell all that, how much would the pizza shop be worth? It wouldn't be worth very much, right? But if it's a successful pizza shop, it's generating income and it's worth far more than the assets that are on the books, so to speak. And that is why we typically see a book value much less than the market price of the stock. Sometimes the stock price is lower than the book value. And if this happens, there is a real danger of the company being raided for the assets and literally put out of business. Now, who does this? They are sometimes called corporate raiders. That's not a very friendly term. They're usually called by themselves capital uh, investors or uh, capital. What a minute, what's the other term? There's another term I'm just blanking on all of a sudden. Private equity. Yes, private capital, private equity investors. And what they do is they swoop in, they buy 50% of the plus one shares, you know, doing it legally, and then they own the company, basically. Then they can say, look, we're taking this company uh, private, we're going to liquidate it, we're going to sell the assets, pay off the, the debts, and walk away with more money in our pocket. Or at least we hope to, because sometimes they get left holding the bag. It turns out the assets weren't worth as much as, as what was on the books. So, so say this happens to your company. This this happens this happens to your company. You worked there for 22 years, and now all of a sudden you're out of a job because these corporate raiders swooped in on their private jets, bought the company, sold off all the assets, paid off the debts, and shook your hand and said thank you very much. You'd be pretty darn angry, wouldn't you? <laughs> and you'd say, how come this is legal? This isn't right. Why weren't we being able to give it? Why? A lot of times the, the employees try to get together and buy the company, especially if it's profitable. But what people don't understand is this is exactly what we want to happen. It, it, it isn't perfect capitalism. But, but what ca the economists would tell you is, look, that capital those resources that were tied up in that company were not being used effectively for whatever reason. And now it's time to unlock that capital. And not only the, the monetary capital and the other assets, the human capital. Because these people who are working there would be better utilized by the society, by the economy, if they were working at some other newer or whatever um, uh, uh, business. And so that's why, dear students, we have unemployment on insurance. We want this to happen, but we don't want people not to have food on the table. So we say, look, you know, you're out of a job. Fine. We'll pay you while you get another job. It's not, as some people say, to not pay people not to work. That is not what it's there for. And you're, you're they're the folks who denigrated are right. Some people work the system, but that's few. Most people, they want to get another job. But in the meantime, they need to put food on the table, they need to pay the rent, and so that's why we have unemployment insurance. Don't let anybody tell you it's there just to pay people not to work. It's, it's not true. We want them to be utilized to the best of their abilities, and so we want them to find a job in another business that's on the rise or just not failing. <laughs> okay, so that's the book value, and we'll take a look at that in a bit. Uh, earnings per share and price-to-earnings ratio. These are very important statistics that you will learn. We, we spend a lot of time about it, on them in the Business 123 class. The earnings per share are actually very, they're both easy to compute. This is the corporate, the earnings per share are the corporation's after-tax earnings divided by the number of outstanding shares of common stock. So, so basically we're saying, look, what is every share earning? As if a, if a little share was a little business one one share of our one share of Nike was a business that was selling shoes. How much does one share earn? Earnings per share. And what investors love is when those earnings are growing. That's what investors are looking for. And what they do then is they compare those earnings per share to the price. Price to earnings ratio, often called PE. The this is the statistic that is most watched in the stock market. And it's um, and we spend a lot of time over it in 123 about it. And we're going to see it's not that hard to understand, but it's tricky because it tells you what's happening now, not what's going to happen in the future. That's the problem, isn't it? We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And this is the price of one share of stock divided by the earnings per share over the last 12 months. And sometimes they'll do 
you'll see TTM, that stands for trailing 12 months, and sometimes they'll do FE, forward earnings. They'll look forward. They'll look, they, you know, what they think that's going to happen. If they're looking forward, they don't really know. They're just guessing. And a low price-to-earnings ratio means a usually less risky investment. A higher price-to-earnings means a more risky investment, but not always, not always. So it's tricky. But why would we want to own a business? Because businesses are in business to earn money. So that's, you know, that's the fundamental, as it's sometimes called, the fundamental uh, uh, aspect of corporations. Are they earning money? Are their earnings growing? And what price do you have to pay to get those earnings? So let's take a look at a couple of examples. And again, there are worksheet. There's a worksheet that you should work through. And there's an answer key and a commentary. And it will be on the exam. But more importantly, I hope what you'll see is that it's not really not that hard to, to figure out and to understand once it's been explained to you. So let's say this company is earning two and a half million dollars. Look at all those zeros. That's a lot of money to you and me, but to a company that could be, you know, pittance. And so how many shares are out there? We know there are five million shares. So we take the earnings per share and divide it by the, uh, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the earnings per share divided by the number of shares. So it's two and a half million divided by five million. And the first thing you do is get rid of all the zeros. And you wind up with 50 cents. So every share that we own is earning 50 cents. And maybe last year it was earning 44 cents. And the year before that it was earning 40 cents. So it's growing their earnings smartly. And that's a very good sign. Or maybe it's a company that's very stable. And, and you probably aren't going to see their earnings increase. But at the same time, you're not going to see their earnings fall into the toilet, which is what happens sometimes, right? So it depends on what kind of investor we are. Do we want the growth investor? Do we want the, 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 the uh, remember the, um, the defensive companies? Right, 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 right. So now let's take a look at that same stock that's earning 50 cents a share and go look at its, its market price. And the market price we find... Of course, it changes throughout the day, every day, but it's $10. So we take $10 and divide it by the earnings per share, and we get a price-to-earnings ratio of 20. Now, don't put a dollar sign. Don't, don't put a percent sign when you calculate these. If you do, I'm, you know, it's not wrong, but it, PE is unitless. It's not, it's not a dollar. It's not, but some people put a dollar sign there. If you do, I'm not going to mark it wrong. Don't worry. Um, yeah, so 20. What does that mean? Well, 20, it used to be high, but now it's, it's pretty uh, normal for some companies. Yeah, yeah. We used to have, uh, as we'll see on slide number 30, that historically a PE of 20 or above was considered high and reserved only for the fastest growing stocks. 5 to 15, that was considered average. But throughout the late 20s, and the late 1960s, and then throughout the 80s and 90s, and now recently, a PE of 40 or 50 was not uncommon among growth stocks. I forget, Google one time had you know, like 60, Starbucks was 40, so Starbucks has come down a lot, and so has Google. But I'll never forget, 1999 it was, I was looking down at the Quotron, that was, which was, you know, that was for decades, that was what brokers used, Quotrons, but then the internet got rid of them. Um, uh, I'm, I saw the PE of eBay at 10,000 and I thought, oh boy, <laughs> this isn't going to continue. This is ridiculous. I just did. Yeah. And of course it didn't. And the PE phase ratios fall dramatically when the market falls, unless the earnings fall dramatically, because remember it's a quotient. You can make the quotient bigger by making the, the, the numerator bigger, the price or by making the earnings smaller. <laughs> so, so sometimes they fall dramatically. Sometimes they rise and you think, what's going on? It's, this company's not growing. It's because their earnings are plummeting. The PE ratio essentially tells you what the market believes the prospects for a company are. A high PE, investors believe that the prospects are good. Now, are they right? Yeah, we'll know in three years, four years, five years. A low P.E. means that the prospects are eh, not very good or pretty bad. 
but again, we won't know for another three or four years. <laughs> and it's too late, right? Uh, it also tells you how long in years it'll take the company to earn back its price, which is not really that important, but it's something to think about. So if you have a PE of 20, if nothing else changes, and of course everything changes every day, it will take 20 years for that 50 cents per share to earn $10 in the case of the previous slide. If it has a PE of three, it only take three years. If it has a PE of 10, it'll take 10 years. So with a PE of 10,000, it would have taken eBay 10,000 years to earn back its price. This is when we were worried about the Y2K problem, you know, going from 1999 to 2000. We'll have to worry then by the Y5K problem going from 9999 to 10. None of us will have to worry about their dear students. So don't worry about it. Okay, so, so that's PE. Hang on, we'll come back to it in a bit. Dividend yield. This is another very important statistic, especially for people who are more income oriented, because this is a the yearly dollar amount of income generated by stock divided by the current market price. In other words, what are they paying us out of the percentage of the price? And as if you remember, we said four to six percent was typical, but now it's typically two or three if you're lucky. And many are not paying any dividends. Many are paying less than one. The dividend yield allows you to compare your stock to a savings account or to a bond. You can say, my savings account's paying 0.1%, the stock is paying 2%. Well, that's a hell of a lot better, but what's the difference? The savings account money, the principal, is guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. The stock price could plummet overnight. Or it could explode. Stocks are volatile. Stocks are risky. Stocks, yeah. Yeah, so so it allows us to compare, but we realize that, you know, that they're two different, very, very different investments. And, of course, bonds are more similar to a savings account. They pay us a set rate of interest. But, again, bonds are not guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, unless they're treasury bonds, in which case they are. Slide number 32. So let's do a dividend yield problem. We have a dollar and a fifties worth of dividends. Okay, great. That's what they're paying us per year. Well, actually, in the United States, they pay you every three months. In some other countries, they pay you every six months. In some countries, they pay you once a year. But whatever, they don't pay monthly. So, so, so we get a dollar fifty over the course of a year. How much did we have to pay for that stock? Well, that stock was eighty-seven dollars and fifty cents. That's how what the market price was. So we take $1.50 divided by $87.50, and it turns out that that dividend is about 1.7, 1.71%. You can either show the number like this or turn it into a percent, but don't put a percent sign after this because that's a very different number, right? If you want to change it to the decimal to a percent, you have to move the decimal place two to the right and put a percent sign. So either way, and use at least three digits. See the three digits here? At least three digits of accuracy, sometimes four. Don't just use one. Don't round this up to 2%. Why? Not that it's wrong. It's not wrong. But that means anything between 1.5 and 2.5. And, and that's a big spread in the world of stock dividends. So show at least three, three digits of accuracy. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, now. Now that we've learned those things. Is that hard? It's not really that hard, folks. Once you understand the measurements, the calculations are pretty simple. And then you have an idea of how to compare stocks. So let's do it. Let's take a look at a couple of mom and pop shops down the street, Walmart and Costco. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um, and, 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 and as we said, we want to make sure we always look at the competitors. So we're just looking at Walmart and Costco. Who else should we look at? Right. We also should look at Target and Amazon and, and who else? And who else are the big box retailers, right? We should, we should, we should uh, expand our, 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 analysis but let's just look at these two for now and we look at the price and we see that walmart's selling for 140 bucks and costco's selling for about 365 and we think wait a minute is costco much bigger than walmart well you kind of intuitively know you probably believe right yes and of course the data changes every day this was october 28th 2020 so what we need to do is look at more information what are their earnings per share? Well, $6.27 for Walmart, $9.02 for Costco, 
And so the P.E. of Walmart is 22, which we said was fairly high. But look at the P.E. of Costco. So without looking at anything else, we can ascertain that who, which of these companies is more popular with investors? Which one are investors more excited about the future growth? Obviously Costco, because they have bid up the P.E. ratio to 40, which is pretty high. That's pretty high, folks. And if Costco fails to deliver, the parachutes had be better be very large because they have a long way to go to get down to a P.E. of Walmart of 22. They'd have to basically lose about, not quite, but half their value. They'd have to go from 365 down to what? 180-something. 190 or so. Yeah, that's that's what investors are saying now. They're saying that, no, we think Costco is going to do well in the future. And are they right? Well, there's the tricky part, right? There's the, you know, investing is simple, but it ain't easy. What do you think? You go to both of these places? Maybe, maybe you don't. But that Costco parking lot is always full. And the Walmart parking lot, it, it's pretty full too, yeah. Now, let's take a look at the book value. Whoa, look at that. 26 bucks or $41. What are investors saying? They're saying, we're not worried about the assets of Walmart or Costco. We're not buying this stock because of that. We know that although Walmart and Costco don't have much assets, we don't care because they're generating tons of cash. That's what we're interested in. So if you sold off Walmart and paid off all the debts and and um, and and, uh, and you, what would you have left in your pocket? Twenty six bucks, maybe. So obviously you're not going to buy them for that, right? Obviously. So both these companies are not going anywhere anytime soon. What are the dividends per share? Well, Walmart's paying us two sixteen a year. Costco's paying us two eighty. So it turns out Walmart is paying twice as much as a percentage of the price. 1.5% versus 0.75%. And that makes sense because investors are believing that Costco is going to grow a whole lot faster. They're not so much interested in the dividends. They're more interested in the growth. Now, here comes the market capitalization. Yeah, the price, again, is irrelevant. You might think that Costco is more expensive than Walmart. No, no. Walmart is almost three times as large as Costco. Almost $400 billion. Again, on October 28th, and the market fluctuates every day. Whereas Costco is worth $161 billion on that day. They're both large cap. In fact, they're both mega cap companies. They're both very large companies. But Costco is much smaller than Walmart. Now, what does that market capitalization also mean? As we said, if you wanted to own Walmart, you would have to have $397 billion in your pocket. Well, actually, you'd need more, as we said, because they're going to expect at least a 10 or 20% premium. And walk on down to the New York Stock Exchange and say, I want to buy Walmart. And they'd look at you and maybe call the people in the white coats who'd take you away. Because nobody's got $379 million. But another company, well, no, no one's going to buy Walmart. But um, there, there, some of these companies with Apple and, and, and um, Microsoft, they have tons of cash. They could buy entire industries. They could buy all the airlines. They could buy all the car companies, except for Tesla. They can't buy Tesla. But they could buy Chrysler, Fiat. They could buy uh, Ford and GM with all the cash they have. They're not going to do it, but... but Nobody has $397 million billion to buy Walmart. Okay, cool. So you see, investing is simple, but it ain't easy. What's going to happen in the future? I don't know. I feel both of these companies are actually pretty good buys because they're actually doing better in the, in the, uh, since the COVID crisis, if you can believe that. Okay, slide number 34. McDonald's and Yum! Brands? Who's Yum! Brands? Well, you know who they are. They own Kentucky Fried Rat, Taco Hell, and Pizza Crap. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Kentucky Fried Chicken? Yeah, Kentucky Fried Buches down in Tijuana. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Kentucky Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. And they're called Yum! Brands. And we look at the price and we say, well, McDonald's is twice as large as Yum! No, it's actually bigger than that because we have to look at the market cap. But look at the earnings per share. 
$6.33, And look at the PE. McDonald's, they're almost 34. Yum Brands, 28. So both companies, investors are you know, fairly optimistic about their futures, but they're more optimistic about McDonald's, aren't they? Right. Look at the book value. It's negative. What's been going on? Well, for the several years, folks, money has been very, very cheap. You can basically borrow money, if you're big enough, at, 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 at very close to 0% interest. So companies have been doing it. They've been saying, shoot, let's buy, let's borrow money when we can. And so now, as with many millennials and, 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 and Gen Zers who are seeing their net worth negative because of the student loans, you're seeing companies with negative net worth. Are investors worried? Obviously not. <laughs> they know that McDonald's and Yum will be able to pay off their debts, so they're not worried. Dividends per share. McDonald's is actually paying us a better dividend than Yum. 2.3% versus 1.9%, even though the PEs are higher. It's usually reversed. But here, we're getting 2.3% from McDonald's, which, you know, is not great, but it's a whole lot better than what your savings account's going to pay you. What's the difference? McDonald's, to, well, no, McDonald's isn't going to go away unless people wake up and realize that they're being sold horrible food. <laughs> it is. It's garbage, folks. It's, it's not good for you. There's a wonderful movie. It's quite old now, but it was called Super Size Me. And at the end, he shows you basically what you're eating. It's, it's all fat. It's all sugar. It's all salt. The, not good. <laughs> but people all around the world love it. And they love their diabetes, and they love their colon cancer, and they love their obesity. Anyway, um, yeah, this is a situation where it might be a good idea to buy a stock. Don't buy the product. And look at the market cap. McDonald's is a mega cap, large cap company. Yum's a large cap company, but yeah, Yum is much smaller than McDonald's. And then if you had gone here about 10, 12 years ago, you would have seen that the PEs were reversed. Yum was just doing really, really, really well. And why is that? Because they were kicking McDonald's butt in China because it turns out the Chinese like chicken more than they like beef. And so Kentucky Fried Chicken was the, the place to go. You drove your Buick to the drive-thru in Kentucky. This is what was going on, folks. And then the bird flu hit. Right. The bird flu hit and people stopped buying chicken cooked, even though there has never been a documented case of any human getting bird flu from a dead cooked chicken. The chicken has to be alive for you to get the, the bird flu. But that didn't stop people from just staying far away from chicken. So they spun off Yum China eventually. I forget why, but but now there are two companies. And they're, they're still making a whole lot of money because this stuff is garbage. You, you think it's not a whole lot expensive. It's very expensive garbage. So that's, okay, get off your soapbox, Piano. But remember, this is one of the situations where maybe you want to look at the investment, but stay away from the product. Other places, yeah, the product's great. Stay away from the investment. Slide 34. Our last couple is AT&T and Verizon. You might have heard of these two companies, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, AT&T is a storied company, but it's, it, the story is, is not as plain as, as it might sound. It's actually the new AT&T, the old AT&T is gone. So the price of these is $26.50 and $56. So you might think Verizon is bigger, and it is, but not as big a difference as the price. Because remember, we need to look at the market capitalization. And we see that the earnings per share are $1.51 for AT&T. $4.42 for Verizon. So the PEs are much lower. 17.5 for AT&T, 12.7. So what are investors saying about the prospects for either of these companies? They really aren't that excited, are they? Not like the other companies we looked at. Now, again, a PE of 12, 17, that's respectable, but it's far lower than growth-oriented companies. So companies are not that excited about the prospects. Oh, well, look at the book value. Huh? We are used to seeing a book value that is much less than the price. In the case of AT&T, the book value is $24.64. The price was $26.50. Could AT&T be getting, be getting to the point where corporate raiders would swoop in? Probably not. Probably because this number is probably not what it says it is. 
the the assets on the books might be overinflated for whatever reason. I'm just guessing that. I don't know. You'd have to dig deeper. But look at the dividends per share. $2.08, $2.51. AT&T is paying you 7.7%. Remember we said the average was 2 to 3? It's paying 2, 3 times that. 4 times that. Whereas Verizon is 4.4%. Still pretty darn good. Both of these companies are paying rich dividends. And so investors who are buying them are probably buying them more for the dividend yield than they are for the growth in the company. Because you know now the only way they can grow is by stealing other people's uh, users, right? Now, AT&T is making a big push in Mexico. I don't really know how well they're doing because, you know, Telcel is just just is 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 do so dominating there i remember um who was it movie star which is a spanish company tried to move into mexico i don't i think they got their butts kicked so we'll see how at&t does so would you buy either of these companies hmm well do you think people will ever give up their mobile phones i don't think so but at the same time the prospects for growth at least what investors are saying with their dollars now the prospects for growth are not that great. But you could buy it just for the dividend yield. But maybe that dividend yield is in danger. We have to do more analysis. But on the outs, on the, from just looking at the most uh, uh, common uh, measures, we get a very good picture of what investors believe. Now we have to do our own research and see if the investors are right or the investors wrong. Because... As we said in back in chapter 11, do you have an eye for sensing unrealized value, for seeing something that the, that the market as a whole doesn't see? And that's why investing is simple, but it ain't easy. Cool? I hope so. Now, I want you to go through the presentations. I'm not the presentations. You're going through the presentations, duh. I want you to go through the worksheet because there's a commentary, there's an answer key, and, and they're going to be on the exam, at least the first four. And uh, you'll see that this is not that difficult. And there's a future for you in the industry. Believe it or not, the financial services industry wants more diversity. They want more women. They love ex-military. They love bilingual people. They, want, they know they need diversity. They know it. They, they, they've said it so, as such. And a lot of us old codgers, the old white guys, are all either retiring or dying. <laughs> so there's a wonderful opportunity for you to get into this industry. I love it. You know, what can I say? I'm not, I'm not biased or anything. I just teach this stuff. But I just find it very fascinating because one of the best things about this industry, you will never run out of things to learn. Guaranteed. There are thousands of stocks, dozens of industries, and some people just concentrate on one or two or three industries. I mean, that's what they do their whole lifetime. And that's the, yeah, so, yeah, right. It's, it's just it's, it's a wealth of, 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 of stuff to learn. And that's what I love. I love learning. Okay, so we'll see you in our next presentations on stocks. And, uh, and don't give up, never give up. You know we love you and we, we're proud of you. We're so grateful that you're here with us. And uh, so we'll see you in our next presentation.